Would you uh, join me in, in prayer? Dear Father God, we want to remember all those who have been suffering this past week. Uh, we're, we're deeply connected to some, and they are brothers and sisters. Um, Lord, we, uh, we just feel their pain. Many have just lost everything. And, uh, and so we just uh, cry out to you for rescue, for restoration. Uh, during this time of, of deep mourning and reflection, there's got to be thoughts about where we put our hope and where we store our treasure. And I pray that many who haven't been turning to you would turn to you and put their hope in you, that it would be renewal for many. Father, I thank you that in your amazing grace, you can take awful, awful things and work amazing good. And that is the hope that we have this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So, I have about 30 minutes, and what I am trying to do in the space of 30 minutes is, um, is to teach on the, the greatest message that's ever been given by the greatest preacher who ever lived. And so, I kind of feel like I need to pray again. But we are limited in time, so I am just going to go. We are covering the Sermon on the Mount. Now, here's the thing. Once you cover this greatest message that has ever been given, you run the risk that most people have already heard it before because it's very familiar teaching. And so people are like, I've, I've heard it before. There's not really much that's new. Well, I would uh, argue with that and say, actually, there's something new every time. But I was thinking, like, is there some sort of new contribution I can make to people who perhaps have heard this many times? And I think there is. I think the new contribution that I can make is I'm going to try to cover the entire sermon in 30 minutes. That is new. Now, I think it's new because you've probably heard bits and pieces here and there. You've heard the Lord's Prayer, the Beatitudes over here, uh, teaching on worry, right? Am I right? You've, it's been lust. Ah, but when this was taught, it was taught all at one sitting. And it was just one cohesive, well-ordered sermon. It wasn't like, hey, uh, next week come back and we're going to talk about divorce. It wasn't like that. It's like, it's like all in one shot. So I'm going to try and give it all in one shot. Have you ever wondered what is the main idea of the Sermon on the Mount? Ever wonder that? Ever think about that? What's that one main idea? I want today to actually give you that main, one main idea. 
But let, let me put it like this. Let me put it like this. Have you ever had an eight-year-old try to explain something complex to you, like a board game? If you were to ask one of my sons to explain a board game that's, say, Forbidden Desert to you, and this happened recently, he went and he said, well, you see, at the end of your turn, you flip over four cards, and it determines the direction of the wind. But every person has a special gift, and the water carrier is the most special of all. I'm like, Christopher, slow down. Stop, actually. What is the point of the game? And my son says, oh, well, the point of the game is you're in the desert, you're about to die. You need to get this flying machine to get out before you die. I'm like, okay, now that makes sense. I understand the point. Now give me all those details. And all those details make sense because I know the point. Have you ever considered with the Sermon on the Mount, what's the point? It's the greatest message that's ever given. What's the point? And here's my thing. I think a lot of people miss the point because they're so wrapped up in the details that they miss it. Now, let's ask this question. What's at stake if you miss it? So you miss it. What's the big deal? Well, this is what happens to a lot of people. They read the Sermon on the Mount, okay? They read it, or maybe they get caught up in the details, or maybe a teacher's up here and they're focusing on the details. They go, oh, okay. They come away from the Sermon on the Mount and they go, I think the main idea is that Jesus is saying, you guys got to do better than what you're doing. You got to work harder because what you're doing is not enough. You got to try harder. Now, um, is that what Jesus was saying? You know, recently I was talking to um, my daughter. I was talking to my daughter. And I was trying to... um, trying to see if she is ready to receive Jesus as her Savior. She said, Daddy, I'm not ready. I said, well, how come? She said, because if I become a Christian, I have to obey you. (laughs) And she looked at me and she was like, and I I can't, you know? And, And I was like, you know, kids see it way before adults do, right? I mean, if you really read the sermon and you really take the teachings of Jesus seriously, eventually adults will reach the conclusion, I can't, just like my daughter. Is that the point? Jesus is saying, you got to do this. And we're like, we can't. But here's the thing. If you, if you think that Jesus is saying, you gotta do, you gotta, you gotta try harder, and, and you're like, well, I, I, I tried, and I couldn't do it, and I keep on failing, I just can't do it, then here's the thing, here's, here's the choice. Then you basically read this and you go, you know something, Jesus is just too idealistic. And, and then you say stuff like, you know, there, there's some people who live like this, but it's not me. I mean, I mean, 
I try to follow Jesus, but he's not being realistic. And so what you're doing is you kind of dismiss the words of Jesus. You know, he's just kind of being too idealistic. It's not really realistic. No, have you read this message? Have you read the last chapter? We're actually not going to go into the last chapter. I've saved that one for on. It's really hard, so we saved it for on. Um, But that last chapter is basically Jesus saying, if you dismiss my words, then you're going to be like this house that's going through this national disaster, and it's going to collapse, and it's going to be destroyed. And ultimately, Jesus, you're like, what are you talking about? He's talking to, scholars think he's talking about hell. So, so it's, okay, so if I dismiss your words, then I'm on the road to hell. But if I take your words seriously, then I feel like I can't do it. So this is a problem. So my question is, how do you read this sermon? And don't be someone that takes away the wrong point. Because if you do, it might just lead to you dismissing his words. And if you dismiss your his words, we're going to be in a whole lot of trouble. So, what is Jesus saying? And my point here today is that this is a cohesive, well-ordered message. There is not one part that is deviant or random. It all is backed up by one point. Now, you journey with me and you tell me if you think this is true. But um, here we go. Okay. Now, uh, just, to, just to just sweeten the, the main entree, I'm going to give you a bit of appetizers, okay? Here are three clues, okay? Here are three clues to, un, uh, to unlocking um, the meaning of the Sermon on the Mount, okay? The first clue is uh, chapter 1, verse 21, okay? Uh, so turn... Uh, with me in your Bibles, if you have a Bible, to Matthew 1, 21, and here we go. We have to go through this quick. She will bear a son, that's Jesus, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, notice it doesn't say Jesus will teach people to save themselves from their sins. It says that Jesus will save his people from their sins, all right? First clue. Here's the second clue. The second clue is in chapter 4. Now, uh, we had said that Matthew is arranged in five chunks, and with each chunk, there's a narrative, and then there's a teaching, and then scholars have made a connection between the narrative and the teaching as if the teaching explains the narrative. Okay, well, you look at the narrative and you look at the public ministry of Jesus. It's driving out and his first word is repent. Can it be that this message is supposed to drive people towards repentance. I think so, but that's clue number two. Okay, here's clue number three. Now, you wouldn't think this is a clue, but right in the very first line, the first beatitude, blessed, the clue is right in the, it's the first line. 
I would say this first line unlocks the entire message. Okay, hold it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed. What does blessed mean? Blessed means happy. Blessed means if someone's going to envy you, they should envy you for this. Blessed means people should walk up to you and say, you are the man. You are the woman because of this. Because of what? Because you're poor in spirit. What does that mean? Because you're morally bent. Because you are so messed up inside and you know it. Okay. So happy and really, really fortunate are the people who are so messed up inside and they totally know it. Isn't that a weird way to open up this message? Now, I don't know if you guys can see, but I've been growing for the past three weeks this patch underneath my chin just for this message that when we get to these pondering moments, I can stroke it and say, hmm, this is very interesting. Now, my wife doesn't like this patch, but I grew it for this moment. So you guys can join me in this moment and just kind of scratch your chin because this is very interesting. This is a clue. This is a weird way to start a message. Where is Jesus going? All right, we're going to have to go through this quick because it's a bird's eye view of this message. Okay, you got the Beatitudes, then there's salt and light. Main idea, I don't think, is in the salt and light. I think it's more the effect. So if you really live like this, you're going to be salt, like on a piece of rotting meat, and you're going to be light, like in a really dark place. These are inspirational words. I mean, you're supposed to go like, whoa, that's what's going to happen if, when this becomes a reality. And, you know, the people are like, you know, you're just, just imagining, they're, they're excited. It's inspirational. It's like vision casting. Sign me up. Okay, now right here, I believe, in this next paragraph, 17 to 20, is the main idea. I've been building this up. I think it's right here. Now, let me explain why I think it's right here. Here's another uh, structural thing. If you can look in my Bible, you will see you got this paragraph, and then what you have underneath the paragraph to follow are um, six examples. Now, when you give a linear presentation, how do, you do, how do you do that? You start with, here's the main idea, and then let me give you six examples that back up the main idea. Got to be right here. Main idea's got to be right here, okay? And I do believe it's right here. I'm going to read it fast, and then there's going to be one verse. We're going to zone in that verse that I think really just has it, like, in its essence. Okay, here we go. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, now I'm putting all of my money on verse 20 as this is it. This is the main idea. For I tell you 
unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That, I believe, is the main idea. Uh, let me describe a little bit about the Pharisees and how they operate, and I think it will become even more clear. The Pharisees were really focused on the external keeping of the law. It was all about what you do. It was all about behavior. It was all about keeping the law, actions. So like on the Sabbath, you can only take so many amount of steps on the Sabbath. And if you swear an oath, it depends on what you swear on. But if you swear on the real valuables, you got to keep it. And for like divorce, you can divorce if you give a certificate of divorce. And so it's all these law keepings, but they're very focused on the actions. And Jesus in another scripture said, you know what your Pharisees are like? You're like whitewashed tombs. Now look at that. Look how pretty they look, right? It looks so pretty on the outside, but inside you're full of this. Dead man's bones, it's like nasty. Inside your heart, it's dirty and nasty. But if you just look at what you're doing, people go, wow, wonderful. But inside your heart, it's just nasty. Okay, so I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm going to unpack this a little bit, but Jesus is not talking about quantity. Do more good works. No, 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 no. He's talking about quality. He's not talking about number of good deeds. He's talking about a change in the human heart. Jesus is talking about a whole new heart. Now, once you have that new heart, the good deeds flow. But it comes from the inside out. Okay, now, I said there were six examples, right? And in my Bible, you got anger, you got lust, you got divorce, you got oaths, you got retaliation, you got love for your enemies. We're going to do this quick. Now, you keep on reading each example, and there's a formula. I don't know if you noticed that. There's a formula. And the formula goes like this. You have heard it said blank. And then Jesus says, but I tell you blank. Okay? Six times over. You have heard it said blank. But I tell you Something else. You have blank, but I tell you something else. Okay, now you look at all the six examples and, and the first ones like you have heard it said and you, you look at them and you, what are the commonalities? Here are the commonalities. They're all interpretations or straight mosaic law. They're all focused on outward external behavior. Okay? Ah... But then when Jesus says, but I tell you, and you, you, you put those all together and you find three commonalities, let me give you three commonalities between all the Jesus saying, but I tell you. Okay, number one, if you really think about these new commands that Jesus gives, 
they are impossible for you to do them by yourself. That's the first observation. They're impossible for you to do it by yourself. Number two, I mentioned this. They are different not in quantity, but in quality. All right? Uh, what, I'll give you an example of this. So, so Jesus is saying, you've heard it said, don't murder. I tell you, don't even be angry. You, you've heard it said, uh, don't, don't sleep with someone that's not your wife or not your husband. I tell you, don't even lust in your heart. Whoa, okay. So the first observation, like, that's basically impossible for me to do by myself. And then the second observation is that it's a different quality because now we're talking about the heart, right? And then the third observation is that Jesus is talking about a whole new heart. Jesus is talking about a whole new heart. Okay, now look at this one. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Look at this one. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, don't resist the one who is evil. Now let me give you an example of this. Um, how many of you here are Jeremy Lin fans? That's pretty much all of you. So, okay. Um, Raina, you didn't raise your hands. Shame on you. <clears throat> now, you've noticed in, I don't know, just, just you, you can tell that Jeremy Lin these days is having more fun in basketball. And I think he said as much, like it's becoming fun again. Now, you know this, not just because he said it, but just by observing his hair. Amen? So remember the good old days? Remember in Linsanity when it was like, yes, that's respectable. Remember, remember the hair right there? Okay, and then I think he got traded, and then it became this, which is straight out of like an anime book, am I right? Straight out of an anime book, right? And then it became this, which I swear my mom gave to him. <laughs> Look at that. Actually, I do respect that more than the first, to be honest with you. And here is the most recent do. There you go. Boom. All right. Now, this is interesting. And there was an anal analyst, an, an old-time NBA player, and he didn't really care for that look on Jeremy Lin. And so in an interview video, he said this. Do I need to remind this boy, his last name is Lin, Martin said with a sarcastic face and tone. Like, come on, man, let's stop it with these people. There is no way possible he would have made it on one of our teams with that blessedness on his head. Come on, man, somebody needs to tell him like, all right, bro, we get it. You want to be black. Like, we get it, but your last name is Lin. Okay. Um, hey, look at this. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. A rant for a rant and a Twitter for a Twitter and a casting and throwing shade for a throwing shade, right? 
And so you're thinking, how would Jeremy Lin respond? And I had one person say, you know, this would have been the perfect response. You get a picture of, um, of Martin's, one of his Chinese tattoos. Actually, he's got a Chinese tattoo. That's interesting. And then you just write SMH for shaking my head. That's it. That would have been rant for rant and, and Twitter for Twitter. And that's how the world works. But Jeremy Lin is a Christian. Jeremy Lin is supposed to be born again. Jeremy Lin is supposed to do things from a whole new heart. And so Jeremy Lin wrote this. Hey, man, it's all good. You don't have to like my hair and definitely entitled to your opinion. Actually, I legit grateful you sharing it, to be honest. Oh, really? Like, you're grateful? I'm grateful. Okay, no, maybe he is really grateful. At the end of the day, I appreciate that I have dreads. And you have Chinese tattoos because I think it's a sign of respect. And I think as minorities, us minorities, there's some unity, us minorities, the more we appreciate each other's cultures, the more we influence mainstream society. Thanks for everything you did for the Nets and Hoops. Had your poster on my wall growing up. Actually, I love the last line. <laughs> Had your poster on my wall growing up. Now, I don't know what you think of that. But it's different. This caught people's attention. They were not expecting this. But Jeremy Lin is a born-again Christian. And according to the Sermon on Mount, this is what the new heart does. It doesn't make sense. It's different. It's a different quality. I mean, someone threw shade and he's like throwing respect. He's getting Martin to kind of reflect a little bit. And I love the ending. Had your poster on my wall growing up, you know. Jesus said, you will be the salt of the earth. And you will be the light of the world. Is that you? Do you have that new heart? No, I said it's one main idea. It's a well-cohesive message. So if that's true, then the next part would not be random. It would flow within that main idea. Okay, now Jesus goes on. Same style where he employs a formula. But this time Jesus is, is saying, hey, let's talk about the good works that you do. Let's talk about the good things that you do. Now, so, so, so church, let's actually talk about that. Uh, what are some of the good things that you do? You went to church today. Maybe on the way back home, you, you run into a homeless person, you buy them a meal. Some of you are leading Bible studies. Some of you are in a Bible study. Some of you are going to call a friend or visit a friend in the hospital later on. There's some good things that you're doing. Some of you are going to give towards fire relief, and that's awesome. Imagine... Whereas before in part one, Jesus is saying, hey, what's inside your heart? Now, Jesus is saying, why do you do the good things that you do? All right, we're going to go through this quickly. Here's the formula. Jesus says, and when you blank, good thing that you do, 
don't be like the hypocrites, because they do it blank to impress people. But when you do the good thing that you do, and there's three things. The first one is giving to people who are in need. The second thing is praying in public, or just praying in general. And then the third thing is fasting. And by the way, Jesus just sort of assumes that we will fast. We'll talk on that some other time, right? But when you do it, don't do it so that they will impress you. I tell you, if you do it so people will take notice, you have received a reward in full. But when you do it, do it in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Same formula three times. So now you're thinking about the good things that you do. Can, can we be honest? Are we doing it so that people will take notice and in some form just kind of go, Yes! Do, is, this, is this what we are really doing it for? I, I will be honest with you in saying that on Sunday afternoons, I turn bipolar. Raina has to receive the, the aftermath of that. Either I am giddy because I feel like I did great up here. Or I am like depressed because I feel like I put a lot of people to sleep. And this happens again and again. And I like to think that when I'm depressed, it's because I love the church so much. And if they didn't really engage or appreciate me, it's because there wasn't transformation. And that's really what I'm after, the transformation. That's true. But there's also part of it that just wants to be appreciated and respected and loved and admired. I have to admit that too. And so Sunday afternoons, it's like this, this confession time with God. Like, Lord, I do love the church. I want them to receive your word and transform. But there's also this part of me that just wants to be applauded. And sometimes I feel like because that's bigger than I would like it to be, what am I doing up here? Lord, maybe you should find a better person to do this because there's so much of me that wants to be in it for me. And it's, it's tough. When you guys are doing the good things that you're doing, Jesus says, yes. But understand, Jesus is like, I'm not after your good deeds. I'm after your heart. I'm after your, your motivation. Why are you doing what you're doing? Are you leading a home group? Why are you calling a home group? Why are you doing this? It matters tremendously to Jesus. See, it's the same thing. Jesus is not so concerned with the external behavior. He's concerned about what's in here. What's in your heart? What's your true motivation? And then the last question Jesus is asking is, what do you desire? Now, um, he, he goes into laying up treasures in heaven. And he's talking about the difference between storing treasure on earth versus storing it in heaven. And he makes this argument that you should really store it in uh, heaven because the ravaging fires of Sonoma uh, 
may very well actually well destroy your treasure here on earth. But when you actually store it in heaven, it's untouchable. It's preserved, right? Okay, so we get that, and you've probably heard that teaching, but look at this. Have you ever noticed this? Verse 21 is like, where does that come in? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This sounds a lot like the main idea. Jesus is not really concerned about the treasure. He's concerned about where your heart is. What do you desire? In fact, if you go on, he talks about anxiety and worry. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, hey, identify. What is it that you're worried about? Take that and then take the root and then go down and then go down. And what you will find is that your worries and your anxiety are revealing what you really desire. What do you want? And then so Jesus drops the bomb. He goes, but seek. Look at that word, seek. What does, words of desire, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Look, if you desire God's kingdom first and foremost, don't worry about that other stuff. But you're worried about it because your heart is there. You see that? You see it? Like, part one is like, what's in your heart? Part two is, what are your motivations? Part three is like, what do you want? And one key to determining what you really, really want is you look at your worries and you trace the root. And a lot of times you're going to find an idol of the heart. All right, um, there is the Sermon on the Mount in a bird's eye. It's been a a great ride for me in just studying this text. It's blowing me away. I have never really connected all the dots and and found the main idea. And it's, it's amazing to me how like every chapter and every detail connects back to the main point. And I think the main point can be conveyed like this. Jesus doesn't want your money or your good deeds. He wants your heart. And when you have a heart that's given by Jesus, then all the other things come. Then all the good deeds come, and you can't stop it from coming. But now I'm convinced that if that is the main idea, then the main application is this. If you really take these words seriously, it's going to lead you in a certain direction. It's going to lead you to a cross. It's going to lead you to a Savior. And then ultimately, it will lead you to a new heart. So let's say it's like this, okay? Let's say um, you're listening to this message. You're like, okay. You go back home. And you're on Facebook. And Facebook, you know, like, you guys know that Hugh Hefner died recently, Right, and so you're like, oh, you're on Facebook, you're, you're clicking something, and then it's, oh, it's Hugh Hefner and his legacy, right? And so you're reading about Hugh Hefner and his legacy, and you're going through the article, and then there's some pictures, and one of the pictures is of like an old former like playmate. And you're like, okay, that's nice. And you're like, I should probably move on and keep on reading the articles because really I clicked it up for the article, but your eyes are still on the playmate. In fact, they linger on the playmate, and you're really, you're going there, and then you're, you're going there more, and you're like, hold it. And then all of a sudden, you're like, hold it, I think this has something to do with what Pastor Andrew talked about today. And then you go, what did Pastor Andrew talk about today? And you're, th- something about the heart and about lust 
And even though I haven't done like an act, and suddenly you remember the scripture that says, do not lust in your heart. And you're like, Lord, but Lord, I confess, I'm totally lusting after this woman. I'm going on this road to doing worse stuff forgive me, and you're like waiting on God. I don't know what you do at that moment. You call a friend. You're like, hey, man, you got to pray for me right now. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just struggling, and you're just waiting on God, and you're fighting, and you're waiting on God, and, and here it is. It leads you to a cross, to a Savior, and that Savior will give you a whole new heart. Not necessarily he'll zap you instantly, but he will give that to you. You wait upon him. You fight. You call for help. Are you all with me? Okay, now let's do another one. Let's do another one. Let's say, okay, that was Monday. Oh, no, that was Sunday. Let's say it's Monday. And let's say you went to school or you're walking back from your class or maybe you're, you're going back from work. Okay, now, so hypothetically, like last month, my mom called me. Right? And I was in the car. And my mom called me. Okay, this is not hypothetical. But anyway, so, so you, you figured that out. My mom called me. I'm in the car. And I'm talking to my mom. And it's like pleasant conversation. And then all of a sudden, my mom goes there. She starts talking about, like, health advice. You guys know what I'm talking about. You know, she, and, and I'm like, Mom, you know, um, I'm sure there's wonderful benefits of, like, gargling with salt and stuff. But... I was, and I started going, but mom, like, I'm a grown man, you know, I, I know how to take care of my own body, and I appreciate what you're saying, and then I said, but mom, let's just not talk about health stuff, because last time we did, you got mad at me and hung up on me, and so, uh, so guess what happened right after that? My mom got mad, and she hung up on me. And I'm, I'm like, I'm, with, you know, I'm, I'm angry. I'm mad, right? Now, let me just stop and just ask you. If any of you, you know what we call, uh, not, I don't want to say people like these. You, you know, everyone has someone in their life that is an extra grace required person, an EGR, okay? Yes, they put acronyms to this. It wasn't me, but everyone has an EGR. Now listen, uh, it, it, according to the law of the, of the, of the land, um, you know, you love your neighbor, you hate your enemy, maybe you, you tolerate the EGR, maybe you try to avoid them, but Jesus says, no, 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 you love your enemy. Everyone has an EGR. Is it your, is it your parents? Is it your roommate? Is it your former best friend? Is it your spouse? Is it your two-year-old? Ah. You know? Now, inevitably, you will come to this place where you're taking the words of Jesus seriously. You're like, I don't have it in me. I have no patience. I have no love to offer this two-year-old. Or this person has really hurt me. I mean, just, I mean, how impossible is this scripture? I mean, tell an Israeli or a Palestinian to love your enemy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's going to work really well. Tell someone, the mom whose son died in the Las Vegas shooting to, to forgive the shooter. Yeah, that's going to go over really well. It's, it's impossible. You, you will end up at this place where you, I can't. Yes. And then you come to a cross and you say, Jesus, I can't. You've asked me to have love. I have hate. You've asked me to have patience. I have impatience. I don't have it. 
forgive me, forgive me. And Jesus, who is the Savior, forgives you and gives you what you need. Now, one thing you can't take away from the sermon, Jesus expects us to, to do what Jeremy Lin did. It's almost like he's expecting this to happen all the time. Yes, but not on your own. You go to a cross, you go to a Savior, you wait on that Savior, you fight your own sin, and Jesus, in his good time, gives you a whole new heart. You know what it's called? It's called being born again. And Jesus doesn't talk about it like it's an idealist. Jesus is like, yeah, this is going to happen. But you got to ask, and you got to wait. Okay, so back to the, the, the story of my mom. So then Raina, like, calls me. I'm like, you know what my mom did? Raina calls me and said, you know something I was reading in, about this book, and, and, and there's this, this thing called the Ministry of Bearing. That's what she tells me. She's like, have you ever heard of that before? I'm like, I've never heard of that before in all my years of being a professional Christian. <laughs> she said, the Ministry of Bearing, this is especially with old people. You, you don't go, hey, let's just not go there anymore. What you do is you listen, and you respect what they have to say. It doesn't mean you have to do it, but you listen to what they say, and you go, I value your opinion. Thank you for sharing that with me. Gargling with salt water. No, no, I'm being sarcastic now. No, no you have to do it with like, true like, inside-out respect, right? And I'm like, Reina, that's the one thing I cannot do. I can't just listen and say, okay, mom, thank you for sharing that with me. But I don't know. I'm reading this, and it's like Jesus says, yes, you can. You come to me, and you say, I don't have it in my heart. And then you wait upon that Savior, and he will, and I'm just saying this through faith because I haven't actually done it yet. He will give you the patience for your parent or the, the, your, ex, your EGR. Okay, here's, here's another one. Got to go quick. Got to go quick. Okay, parents, parents. Okay, this is like Thursday, okay, and you have two kids, or maybe you have three kids, and the two kids are fighting over Alexa, you know, the music machine, they're fighting over it, okay, one wants to listen to Katy Perry, and the other one wants to listen to Moana, and you're very grieved that they're fighting, because clearly Moana's better, and so you, 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 you're going to intervene, you're going to intervene, now, now, no, 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 listen, a lot of parents would be like, look, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a really good leader, and I'm going to apportion a time rotation. So one will get it for 10 minutes, first one. Second one will get it for 15. Who wants to be first? Now, you're, you're thinking, I'm going to do this because this is smart, and I'm a good leader. Ah, but then you remember Sermon on the Mount. You're like, oh, Pastor Andrew talking about Sermon on the Mount. Something about not external behavior, something about that. What did he say? I forgot what he said. But I do remember Jesus talking about a new heart. And you're thinking, this solution of time appropriations has nothing to do with their heart. Am I teaching them to be like rotational, time-efficient robots? Or am I trying to lead them to a cross and a savior who gives a whole new heart? So you're like, okay, I'm not going to do that. You're like, hey, you know, Jesus calls us to love what happened here? And they, well, you need this first. Yeah, okay, but, but, but why didn't you want to share? 
was, was there any love in your heart that wanted to share? But no, but, 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 yes, but, but, but you know something? God has called us to love one another, and I'm not seeing a lot of love between. You're, you're trying to lead them to a cross, not towards this time rotation. Jesus was a teacher, and he was going for what's in there, and he's leading people to a cross and to a Savior and to a whole new heart. Last example. Last example. Okay. Now, we, we talked about right motivations for doing good, okay? Like you're going to Bible study leading, you're going to give some money away to fire relief, you're going to just love on some person, visit some person in the hospital, and Jesus is like, whoa, 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 why are you doing what you're doing? But here's the thing. Normally, we get appreciated, and so we don't even ask the question. But this is something that always causes us to pause and ask the question, why am I doing what? It's when you don't get appreciated. Can I get an Amen. That's when you go, I don't know if I really want to do this anymore. Someone doesn't appreciate you. Someone takes you for granted. Then you go, I don't think I want to do this because they're not appreciated. But then Jesus is like, look, but if you're doing it, then all you will get is the... And then that's your reward. Don't do it for... And you go, Lord, the reason why I'm so, so upset and I'm thinking about dropping out is because I'm doing it for the applause of people. And... I, and Jesus has called me to do it actually for the reward of God and to do it in secret. And I'm falling short of that, so forgive me. Give me a new heart that only wants to do it for God. You see, this sermon is so relevant. It's so relevant. Jesus says, do not dismiss my words. Jesus is not after your good deeds. He's, he's after your repentance. And he's, he's out to give you a whole new heart. So, church family, we are called not just to give good deeds to Jesus, but to give our entire heart. Come to the Savior. Ask for forgiveness. And he will baptize you again with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Um, Father, I, I, I thank you for the uh, amazing power of your word. It's, it's, it's amazing. And um, I, I I'm so honored to be able to be up here just opening up your word to, to your people. Um, and I just pray that uh, through the power of your word and your spirit, it's just going to bear fruit in people's lives that people will uh, not just go, nice sermon, but they will go and, and they will apply your words and will lead to a cross, a savior, and a born-again new heart. Let it be so um, for your glory. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.